Thank you, Jesus. We say thank you to you today. Jesus, you bore our griefs. You carried our sorrows. The punishment that brought us peace was on you and by your wounds we have been made whole. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Just let him know right where you are. Speak back to him out of his love for you. Just a little, it's just a whisper of a prayer. Just let him know you love him today. Love you, Lord. We ask today that we would uh, understand you more so that we might love you more, so that we might bring your kingdom purposes on this earth and complete that which you've given us to do. We thank you, Jesus. You are the Savior of the world and the Lord of all. In Jesus' holy and precious, wonderful and magnificent name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, folks, for leading us out. Appreciate a good morning, community of faith. <laughs> it's good to see you today. Um, it's a little side note for you. Uh, last week, was it, we took communion? Yes, I just wanted to encourage you. My son, Jake, received Christ. He literally did at age of, uh, in his threes, uh, it was hard for me to believe, but uh, it wasn't too hard for the Lord to believe. And he understood that he was a sinner. He understood he needed a relationship with Jesus. And, uh, and so uh, he, he was able to take communion last week. And so I said to him, um, my wife Sarah said to him afterwards, she said, uh, uh, Jake, uh, did, did God show you anything? Did God say anything to you in your heart, you know, when you were taking communion? And he said... Yes, mom. He said he's never going to flood the world again. <laughs> so anyway, my son is hearing from God. It's scriptural like I talked last week. It is of the scripture. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. I want to thank all of you families who come. And we do something a little different here. And you notice it on the front row at times. Which is that we have our children involved with us in our time of singing our time of, of uh, that, that portion of our worship service. And uh, at times it is, uh, it's like juggling if you have three kids, except for the Clarks, but uh, their, their kids sit well. No, anyway, uh, <clears throat> you know, minor, everywhere. But we value the fact that we are families worshiping God together. And uh, it's such a joy and such a privilege. I want to honor you parents who, who uh, have your children in here and have a heart for raising up families that love Jesus together. God never intended us to be just isolated uh, groupings of people, though we have places where we come together and find a deeper connect. Uh, we are families, and this is the family of God here, and I want to say to you, welcome home for whoever it is, whether it's your first time here or your hundredth time here. Welcome home. I hope that you experience the home in the life of Jesus, in being here. It's good to see you all today. This is Community of Faith Christian Fellowship, which you might hear called CFCF at times. Uh, one of our first t-shirts we ever had uh, said CF squared. So that was a little uh, way of saying CFCF. CF. Although, yeah, I think that would be squared. 
My name is Jeff Bianchi. I'm the lead pastor here. It's an honor and privilege to be here. And we are, uh, we took a couple of weeks in between our series, uh, our last series, and we had an opportunity to hear from people. Two weeks ago, we had testimonies. Do you enjoy those testimonies? Different ones shared. As I said last week, some people were coming for my job. You can't have it yet. Uh, so anyway, uh, they were, they were sharing such rich and wonderful stuff for us. And then last week, we had the opportunity to hear from Matt Plummer. As I I shared, you're going to get to hear from different ones, uh, leaders in our congregation. He shared with us the three ways to live life. I hope you were motivated last week to live uh, in the presence of God in your daily existence. Uh, To to not just, uh, to obviously not live unbelieving, (laughs) not believing in God, and not just to live by rules, but to live in a relationship with God. And I'm so grateful for that. Well, we are now... In the third, um, we're now in the first week of a new series. And the name of this series, as I imagine you could guess by looking up here, is The Jesus Way. We are going to be looking uh, over this next few weeks at what's called the Farewell Discourses. And this is from John chapter 13, the book, the Gospel of John, chapter 13 to chapter 17. The farewell discourse, it's called that because Jesus, who had begun his ministry only three years earlier, at the age of 30, he began his ministry, and uh, it is now three years after Jesus has begun his ministry. Uh, Rather than using his miracle-working power through his ministry, which he had, Jesus basically did this when he was in his ministry years, and we we would assume before his ministry years, but specifically in his ministry years, 30 to 33, age 30 to 33, Jesus healed the sick. He, uh, he uh, opened blind eyes. He opened deaf ears. Uh, he did many things. He raised the dead. The little girl, Tabitha, he said, little girl, I say to you, get up. And she got up. He healed a dear friend of his, actually, Lazarus, who had been dead and in the tomb for four days. And as one version says, Lazarus' sister Martha said, Lord, he stinketh. If that gives you any idea, he was dead. That's what she's trying to say. Uh, he, not, he didn't have a body odor problem. He was dead, four days dead. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. So Jesus healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cleansed the lepers. Leprosy was, was quite an issue in that day. This skin disease, contagious. And, and those with leprosy had to, had to uh, cover their faces and say, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine? And Jesus would literally touch the lepers and make them whole. <laughs> he even, in the home of a man by the name of Simon the leper, whom I assume through this that he has healed already, Jesus ate at the home of Simon the leper. Jesus did that, so he... Healed the sick. Say healed the sick. That's what your Lord's about. He, amen. He raised the dead. You can say raised the dead. He cleansed the lepers. And he drove out demons. He drove out demons. He looked at the Gadarene demoniac. He came to a man when he came across the Sea of Galilee, and this man, no one could hold him with chains. That's how demonically uh, 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 inspired he was. He couldn't be held with chains. He would scrape himself with, uh, with, with uh, broken pieces of pot, 
uh, uh, pots, <laughs> pots, I don't know exactly what you say, but not the, uh, <laughs> not the pot that we've talked about in Colorado, but the pots that you drink and eat out of. Uh, he, he would scrape himself and he, he drove demons out. The man who came and brought his son to Jesus, he said, the, your disciples couldn't do it. Well, Jesus said, that's no problem for me. Demon leave, right? And uh, so Jesus healed the sick, raised the dead, cleansed the lepers, drove out demons, but he didn't use one of those things in order to prematurely advance his cause. You might wonder sometimes when you're reading the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when Jesus does something awesome, which he did all the time, he said, don't tell anybody. You know, and as I've said before, most of us are like, you know, we see a, a sniffling nose healed. We're going to, you know, put it on Instagram. <laughs> We're going to be telling everybody, which is okay to rejoice in whatever God's doing. But Jesus did amazing miracles. He said, don't tell anybody what happened. Well, Jesus was not going to use his own personal um, or the way that he was used by his own father to powerfully impact this world for his own gain. You see, many of his disciples and those around him wanted to come and make him king by force. They knew a Messiah was coming. They knew a king was coming. And they assumed Jesus is coming to take over, to kick some booty, and to take everything back from this Roman Empire and who's been ruling us at this time. But Jesus himself chose not to do that. Instead, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem resolute. He was going to Jerusalem no matter what, knowing what awaited him there. What awaited Jesus in Jerusalem was scorning, beating, bruising, hatred, a crown of thorns, a cross, an old rugged cross, and a death for all of us. But he chose to go and he entered into Jerusalem gentle, gentle, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He entered gently into Jerusalem. You see, the way his guys, his disciples, Peter and some of those fellows, wanted it, he would come in with horses and chariots, demanding a takeover, calling down fire from heaven. It wasn't that Jesus couldn't have called down fire from heaven. He very well could have. But he chose, and he knew that the ultimate answer to things was not him establishing the kingdom too early, but establishing the kingdom through love. So we enter the farewell discourses here in chapter 13. Jesus has simply entered Jerusalem gentle on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Not with horses and chariots, not demanding a takeover, but gently laying down his life. And we're looking here in John chapter 13. He's beginning the farewell discourses. This is when a leader says something toward the end of their lives. It's something to be heeded. Bill Bright, who was um, one of the, uh, well, was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, an incredible ministry that has produced the Jesus film and so many other uh, wonderful things for the gospel, wrote memoirs toward the end of his life as he was dying. Man, I grabbed that book and read it. I read it through because I wanted to know what has motivated this man. What is of prime importance to this man? But all the more, a leader like him, Jesus, we should heed what he has to say. So Jesus is setting things up. He's doing what even Matt spoke of last week. He's demonstrating, and then he's teaching. He's demonstrating, and then it opens the door for him to teach his disciples about who he is and about his ways. You see, if we look in 
Psalm 103 and verse 7, it says this, God, it says he, which is God, made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. You see, the people saw what God did. The people saw God part the Red Sea. The people saw the plagues in Israel. I mean, I'm sorry, in Egypt that, that, uh, that were rained down upon the Egyptians because of the resistance to let God's people go. The, the Israelites saw it, but, God, uh, but Moses knew why God did it. Moses knew the God that did it. He didn't just see what God was doing. He knew the God that was doing it. And that's what we're talking about with the Jesus way. Jesus in these farewell discourses is saying, don't just see what I've done. Don't just see the miracles that I perform. Don't just see the, 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 the demoniacs set free. I want you to see it. But I want you to know me and know why I'm doing what I'm doing, who I am, and how you can follow me. You see, those that follow Jesus, as Matt, I think, shared with us last week, and as I want to continue to grow in, they heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and drive out demons. We want to be about that. But we don't just want to be about that. We want to know the heart of our God and why he does what he does so that we can grow to full maturity in him. As we go through this series, we want to see God's ways that were demonstrated by Jesus and shared, spoken, uh, where he, he talks. Um, and uh, we're going to call this series, as I said, The Jesus Way. The Jesus Way. This week, we're going to look at the first chapter. We're going to cover one chapter a week. We're not going to be able to get into the depth of each and every chapter. We may have time to go back for that. But we're going to look at one chapter a week, 13 this week, 14, and so on through 17. And this week, we're going to look at the Jesus way of servanthood. Laura uh, Richmond, this is uh, just something that comes to my mind as I'm thinking about this subject. Laura Richmond is the wife of the, the uh, lead pastor of our sister church, the River Church in Waltham. And as well, he, was, uh, he and Laura helped found this church, Community of Faith. Well, Laura's been a dear friend of mine for a number of years. I met her 22 years ago, I believe, or tw- no, 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 24 now. <clears throat> Um, back when I was seven. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> uh, I met Laura, and my mother was actually discipling her. She went to Baylor. My parents lived in Waco, Texas, and, and I met her. Anyway, uh, along the way, I've known Laura and Sean for many, many years. They're dear friends. We minister together. We're part of CFI, this ministry that's been spoken of today. Anyway, Laura told a story through the years. When you're friends with someone, you have stories you tell, right? Don't you remember back when? Well, she tells this interesting story I thought was uh, poignant for today. Anyway, uh, she ended up, um, uh, she was uh, at school at Baylor, and they ended up going uh, on a road trip. Anybody ever been on a road trip? Yeah, you know, road trip. <sighs> More expensive these days to take a road trip. But anyway, at that time, they took a road trip at about 80 cents a gallon. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, they headed down to Houston. And they went down there, and it was, in the Christmas, it was actually during the Christmas season. And um, they decided they were going to go down and visit some of their friends. She was not from there, but she went. And they decided on a Sunday morning they were going to go to one of the mega churches in Houston. There are a few of them. There are quite a few. 
although 88% of the city is not churched, interestingly enough. But anyway, they, were, they went to this big mega church, and uh, they came in the morning. You know, they were, they were probably dressed up pretty nice, a little nicer than I am today. And they came on in, and a lady, you know, greeted them and said, so nice to have you here today. And they're like, thank you, you know. She said, hey, we're having our big Christmas extravaganza tonight. I want to invite you. I've got some tickets for you. I want you to come tonight. Come on. It's big. It's, I mean, you know how it is if you've ever been to a mega church. It's big, you know. There's lights, cameras, and action, all of that. <clears throat> anyway, so they said, well, hey, all right, we'll go. Let's do it. <clears throat> so they were excited. They went back. You know, they had a little, little lunch, probably Tex-Mex if I had to guess, um, or whatever they had. And then they, you know, hung out for the afternoon. They came back in the evening, and they met the lady, you know, big, big facility. They met the lady where she told them to meet her. And she was really excited. They came up, and they said, hey, we're here. And she said, great. She hands them flashlights, you know. She starts handing them flashlights and badges, and she says, hey, okay, when the people come, you're going to come in, and you're going to lead them to their seats, and uh, you're going to seat them and make sure everything goes right, you know? And they're like, what in the world is going on? They're, they're thinking, there is no way this woman did this. She enlisted them completely as ushers, not even telling them that morning that they were going to be usherettes. I've been to Jim Symbolist Church in um, uh, 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 New York, and uh, they have usherettes, I believe it's the name. They were usherettes, and... Uh, it was really, really funny. Um, so they were like, uh, we can either get bitter or better, right? <laughs> this lady kind of pulled a fast one on us. That's why I didn't tell you the name of the megachurch. Uh, <clears throat> and you got a lot to choose. Just love all of them. But anyway, they were like, okay. <laughs> so they get out there. They got the lights. You know, they're, you know, they're finding people to their seats and all this. And finally, they get to catch a little bit of the extravaganza at the end. I mean... What a nutcase scenario there. <clears throat> this Christmas production, this Christmas thing. You know, um, Laura went to that mega church that night uh, fully expecting to sit down and prop her feet up, so to speak, and uh, to watch what was going on, this Christmas extravaganza. That's what I was invited to. But she was secretly enlisted to servanthood <laughs> as an usher. You know, what we're talking about today, however, in this first installment of our Jesus Way series, was not uh, a forced enlistment of servanthood whatsoever. We're talking, and we're going to look at a conscious decision by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to live in a revolutionary way of servanthood. It overturned the status quo of his day. It overturns the status quo of any day it is in because it is a revolutionary gospel. And he became an example for us who would choose to follow him for generations to come. Let's open the Bible to John chapter 13 and let's observe the Jesus way of servanthood. And we're going to sum it up as we look at this in this way. Soak in God's love... I mean, soak in, like you're in a jacuzzi, soak in, soak in a jacuzzi, soak in God's love, say soak in God's love, serve your enemies, surprise the world around you, just like Jesus did. All right, let's look. Let's begin reading in John chapter 13 and just take verse one right now. 
It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he, gave, he, he loved them to the end. That first point is to soak in God's love. And the, the key word that I'm, I'm focusing on right here is that he knew he was returning to his Father. You see, the Jesus way of servanthood comes from a deep understanding of God the Father's love. We're not serving so that we can gain acceptance. We're not serving because we don't feel like we're worthy or valuable. Not by our own self, but by Jesus' blood that we really are. You see, love is one of the key terms in chapter 13 through 17. These farewell discourses. In chapters 13 through 17, the word love occurs 31 times. And in all the previous chapters, 1 through 12, it has only appeared six times. Jesus is making very clear here that his ministry is all about love. And the way that we are going to be able to be ministers of Jesus, we are going to help, uh, we are going to win this world for, for Jesus, is to have a deep and abiding understanding of the love of the Father and the love of His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus knew the love of His Father like no other man in history. You see, Jesus knew the love of His Father before the world's ever began. It's very interesting in the council of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons but one true God together for all of eternity exhibited what would be called Trinity humility, the Father loving the Son, the Son honoring and loving the Father, the Holy Spirit wanting to bring glory to His Father and to the Son and all of them loving one another. Jesus, from history, eternity past, was returning to the Father who had, uh, who had totally etched him with an understanding that he was loved, that he was valuable. Of course he was valuable as God. He is God. Jesus is no less God than the Father is God. The Holy Spirit is no less God than the Father or Jesus is God. But Jesus was etched with an understanding of the love that came from his Father, and it painted it colored every single thing that he did. You see, Jesus would become a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Do you know that scripturally it says that before the foundations of the earth, Jesus was the Lamb of God that was slain? I'll just stay right there and let that blow your mind for a second. That means God knows everything, past, present, and future, completely, and absolutely. You say, I don't understand that. Well, then I just say worship. Worship God, who's bigger than you are and blows your circuits and mine. But in the very beginning of all eternity, God, the Son, Jesus, said, I love you, Father. I will do whatever it is it takes to redeem a people for you. Jesus was now about to return to his father and to that eternal relationship with his father. And the time was right. This right here, John 13, where he's sitting, is the Last Supper. Jesus is with his disciples, seated around the table with his disciples. And now he's going to show them 
He's going to give them a picture. This is the full extent of my love. This is how I love you, as another version would say, to the end. Those who are deeply loved are the only ones that are adequately able to love others in a selfless way. And Jesus, I said this before, but think about this. Jesus did not serve and love. We're going to talk about the service aspect of love. Jesus did not serve because he did not know how valuable he was or he had a low estimation of his value. Jesus served because he absolutely knew how valuable he was and that through his service, he was going to set others free. God wants you to know your value. God wants you today, as a believer in Jesus Christ, He wants you to know your worth. You're not going to find your worth outside of and apart from the understanding of God's love for you. The Father's love for you is something to understand. I understand it more now, 25 years after I began my walk with Jesus, but I'm still growing. Do you have any idea how much God the Father loves you individually? When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, when you receive Jesus Christ, if you have not yet, He loves you with the same intensity that He loves His Son. You and I have been adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. We are not just accepted by God. We are treasured by God. We are His treasure, and He is ours. Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse uh, 17 through 19 clearly spells out how much God our Father loves us. This passage, it's written actually by the prophet about the city of Jerusalem. It's talking about the city of Jerusalem and God's people in Jerusalem. But it is an example and a picture. It gives us a picture, a snapshot of how God delights in his people. And through the blood of Jesus, you and I are delighted in, in him. or he, he is delighted in us. It says in the New American Standard Version, The Lord your God is in your midst. Do you know he's here today? He's in our midst. The Holy Spirit is just as as a, a mother brooding over her children, as a father caring for, comforting, encouraging, leading. He's here today. He's in our midst. He is a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will quiet you in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. You see, God's not just okay with you. But as a believer in Jesus, one who has said, I repent, I turn from my sin. I turn to you, God. He loves you with the type of love that he has for his son, Jesus. He is crazy about you. You need to picture this today. This understanding that Jesus knew that he, their God, is a victorious warrior. And he is, he is over you. It says he is shouting over you. These are my people. 
who I bought with my own blood. Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you have entered into a loving relationship. God is exulting over you and rejoicing over you with singing. Does that bother you? <laughs> it doesn't bother God. Anybody had a child and you sing over them? <laughs> we used to sing all kinds of songs. I told you one time with our son Jude, our oldest, we, we had every song in the book, but we realized we were so excited about him that we would sing a song. He got some poops. Yeah, he got some poops. I mean, he was a little baby. And we were excited about his poops, you know. We were singing over him, but we were loving him. I don't know how God does with you when you're doing what you're doing. But I do know he's thrilled with you. Is he thrilled with the sin that has grasped you or me? No, he's not thrilled with that sin. He has a true hatred for the sin, but not because uh, of you. He has it because it is destroying you and me. In various ways. But he is rejoicing over you. This same son of mine, Jude, who now five years later has received Jesus and loves him. He came, he said this to my wife, Sarah, the other day. He said, Mommy, Jesus came to me last night and told me that he loves me and he will never leave me. This is the kind of revelation we need on a daily basis in order to be empowered as Jesus was. You say, oh, that's too simple. I, I knew about that back in the day. We need to have a new day. Is the love of God, the fact that God is thrilled over you as his child, not looking to condemn you, he's looking to forgive you. You know God reveals things in your life. He reveals sin patterns in your life. He will expose them. Is it so that he can condemn you? No. It's just like the woman at the well who exposed her sin. It is so that he can forgive you. What God reveals, he wants to heal. That's why he reveals sin. That's why he calls it up and out. So that he can do away with it. But God the Father loves you. So that's the first thing we need to remember here. The Jesus way of servanthood is to soak in God's love on a daily basis. Jesus spent with his Father understanding the love that his father had for him. We love, this same John wrote in 1 John, said we love because he, God, first loved us. Don't ever think that you're going to be able to love God without an increasing revelation of his love for you. It's his love for you and me that sparks you and me to love him back. Mm, it's good, isn't it? Let's continue reading in John chapter 13, verses 2 through 5. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. We're to soak in God's love. And here as it says, we're to love our enemies. Love your enemies. The Jesus way of servanthood is not just for those who are your friends or not just for those who are my friends. You see, even as Jesus was getting up from the table to wash the feet of his disciples, he knew that an enemy was at the table with him. 
an enemy, Judas, who had already put his hand, he was the money, he kept the money. He was already put his hand in the money bag. He'd already done that. He had eaten with Jesus. He had heard Jesus teach. He was with Jesus everywhere when Jesus exposed his heart to his disciples. And Judas betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. An enemy, a hateful, spiteful enemy was around the table that Jesus was around and Jesus knew every minute of it. But what did Jesus do? He got up from the table. He began washing the feet of the disciples. He came to Judas. What did he do? Oh, I'm sorry. Can't wash your feet. You wouldn't wash mine. Now, Jesus doesn't wash our feet because we wash his. He washes our feet. And then we wash his. Because he's worthy. He washes our feet first. And Jesus washed the feet of his enemy. Saying, I know what you're going to do. But Jesus knew that an, even though that enemy was at the table with him, that the, the a- evil would not be overcome by evil. Evil would be overcome by good. Jesus knew better than anyone knows that evil will not be overcome by evil. That's why arguments don't work very well. The spirit of pride and arrogance doesn't solve things. If we are to walk in the Jesus way of servanthood, it means we go beyond those that are our family or our friends. And we even love and serve our enemies. Now this goes beyond just loving those who have animosity toward us personally. This is true. Jesus knew a man that had animosity toward him personally. But this also goes to those who are outside of our natural comfort zone. Or our realm of acceptance. We all grow up with a realm of acceptance. In Jesus' day, it was the Samaritans that were unaccepted, the enemies of Israel. But you see, there are people in this world who are doing things that we, that I, am opposed to as a believer in Jesus Christ. There are people in this city every day, many of them doing things I'm highly opposed to as a believer in Jesus Christ. But the answer to that situation is not for me to be hateful to them. Is it to compromise? What I believe in the word? No, it's not to compromise. But it is to serve them in whatever way way that I can because the Lord brings repentance about through kindness. Not through judgment. As an example of this for me, I come from a state called Texas. And I am a holder, I will tell you unashamedly, I am a holder of many, many, many conservative values. But one thing that breaks my heart greatly, when people see liberals or those who support abortion or the homosexual lobby as the enemy, while I vehemently oppose abortion, it in my spirit, I'm praying Boston to be an abortion-free zone. I'll say that, absolutely. But it's not going to become an abortion-free zone through legislation. It's going to become an abortion-free zone through the love of Christ driving it out. I support the definition of a marriage between one man and one woman. But those who support these causes are not my enemy. They are not my enemy. The devil 
of hell is my enemy. And he has sought to destroy these people. He's sought to destroy me. He's seeking to destroy our city. And I will not overcome him by hatred. Will I overcome him by just saying, oh, everything's fine. Don't worry. Let's all, we just all get in there. No, but I will love. I will love in word and I will love in deed. I want to see uh, abortion eradicated in our city, not primarily by political means, but by a church that loves and serves our city, leading our city to repent over what breaks God's heart. As we, as a city, serve those who have different agendas than us, as the body of Christ that I see biblically, as we serve them with whole hearts, I believe that God will break the back of what has broken their back. Now let's read in verse 6. It says here, He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. The Lord sa- Then Lord Simon Peter said, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. So we are to soak in God's love. We are to love our enemies, and we're to surprise the world around us. God wants the church to be a surprise to the world, not a bore and not a bother. Maybe a bother. Sometimes the surprise will bother. Uh, Is Jesus came to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comforted, right? (laughs) At times. But the Jesus way of servanthood is humbling and it's surprising for those who receive it. Peter's circuits were blown. Jesus, you don't serve me. You're the leader. It just exposed Peter's heart that he did not understand the Jesus way. The Jesus way of leadership is serving. The Jesus way Jesus even said to his disciples at another place, if anyone wants to be the greatest among you, he must become the servant of all. It didn't compute in Peter's brain because Peter was still operating from the worldly view of leadership. He and the disciples were operating from the understanding that Jesus was going to come. There still was a hope in Peter's heart. Jesus is going to take this thing by force and we're going to rule and reign with him here in Jerusalem. Woo! Jesus blew his circuits and... And um, temporarily disappointed him greatly because Jesus wasn't going to operate that way. Jesus operated in a different spirit, the spirit of God. When we serve in the way that Jesus did, it's surprising. We as believers in Jesus should be serving in such a way the world around us steps back and takes notice. Says, what in the world is going on around here? Where is the hidden agenda? I'm all for servant evangelism, sharing with people out of service. But that's not even what I'm talking about. A spirit of servanthood that transforms our city. If we're just serving the way the world does, how does that exhibit Jesus? The world needs to have a proper doctrine when it comes into relationship with God. But God's word does not say that people will know we are believers by our doctrine. They will know we are believers by our love. And servanthood is a part of that love. A number of years ago here in Brighton, I had a, a dear friend of mine. He was Lebanese. And he owned a flower shop here in Brighton. 
By the way, he was Muslim. There you go. Outside of my realm. There you go. Anyway. <laughs> uh, and he owned a flower shop. And my wife and I got to know he and his wife very well. And one Valentine's Day, I was, I was praying for him. And I thought, you know what? This guy owns a flower shop. And I just called him up in the morning. I said, hey, hey, uh, friend. Won't give you his name. And I said, hey, friend. I'm one of your delivery boys today. I got a couple of meetings, but other than that, I'm delivering for you today, man, whatever you need. I don't work for him. I don't do anything for him. But I came by, you know, I have a meeting, then I drive by, and he'd load, you know, flowers into my car, and I'd take them. You know how, how much he paid me? Not one red cent. But you know how much the Lord paid my spirit in that? Oh, much, much, much. I just did have this impression, and, you know, I became, as I said, one of his drivers for the day. And I had joy and a reward of joy in my heart. And the, re the reward mainly was surprising this man with the love of God through practical service. I wasn't even doing it to surprise him, so to speak. But I was desiring to show him an example of Jesus' love. So we are to, what are the three? We are to... Soak in God's love, love our enemies, surprise the world around us, just like Jesus did. And just like he does, by the way. <laughs> he didn't stop doing it at the table. The Jesus way of servanthood is not an option for true believers in Jesus. Jesus was not a servant because he washed feet. Jesus was a servant, and therefore, he washed feet. That didn't make him a servant. You're not a servant because you serve. You serve out of your understanding that like your Lord and Master, you are a servant too. Jesus was illustrating to the disciples the Jesus way of living and dying. He let these men know if they were to call themselves followers of him, that they would walk in a Jesus way of servanthood. It was not an option. It was not just part of the deal. You know, there's some servants. Oh, you've got the serving gift. How about you got the serving gift? <laughs> When you receive Jesus. Now that may look different than others. But you got it. And I want to tell one last illustration. As I close. And as uh, in a minute the band comes forward. And is um, There was a man that I knew. Uh, when I was back in Texas. About 20 or 20 some odd years ago. He went to Highland Baptist Church. Where I was working. And his name was Travis Gibson. He was an older man. When I first got to know him. But he was a man filled with zeal for God. Man, he, had, he was just tireless. He and his wife, Juanita, would serve God. And what Travis Gibson was, was the pastor of visitation. He was a good Bible teacher. And he, he led many uh, Bible studies with, with the elderly at the time when I knew him. And uh, he, uh, what I came to understand was that he, at one time in his life, so he was in his 70s or such when I first got to know him. But at one time in his life, he had been a Baptist pastor in a very small church and he was a Baptist pastor and and uh, it was a small church and he was uh, he understood that, that an opening had come up for a larger church and he was there um, praying and, and seeking God and he, he sought to go to that larger church to increase his influence in God right and to do the next thing ended up he didn't get that he didn't get the, the, the job that he wanted. And he, he was praying and he was kind of grumbling. This is how he explains it to God. And he was saying, here I am, God. I'm just trying to, you know, climb the ladder, serving you, God. And, you know, and, and that night he had a dream. 
and, and in, that, in that picture, in the picture in that dream, there was a hole in the ground and just the tip of the ladder was at the top of it. Just a little, little bit of the ladder you could see above. And he heard a voice. The voice of the Lord in his dream. It said, Travis, my ladder goes down. And he said he realized at that moment that he had been seeking the wrong thing his whole life. He would be seeking a greater place, a greater position. And what he did simply was lay his life down for Jesus and say, Jesus, I'll serve you any way that you want me to. I'm not going to seek greater. And he sought his entire life to lay his life down so that others would know him. He would sit in hospitals and, and for, for countless numbers of days serving the poor, ministering to them with an un, uh, unremitted strength and fervor, treating each one with the love of Christ. And he did it because he wanted to serve in the Jesus way. Let's stand. And I want to just ask if you have a, a, a word that, to talk to John or to Mark today, but I just want to say this to us as we respond to the Lord. I want to ask these questions to you and we'll go. Are you soaking in God's love on a daily basis? You, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you haven't, please come talk to us. And we want to make sure that you know Jesus. But are you soaking in his love daily? Are you taking advantage of the opportunity you have with this Bible here? With the opportunity in prayer to, to meditate and to think about what his love is toward you? Are you serving your enemies or are you simply serving those that are not like you or are you only serving yourself and your friends? I'm going to ask that question. Is the way that you're serving surprising the world around you or boring the world around you? <laughs> and are you serving just like your Lord and Master, just like the way Travis Gibson did? Or are you treating servanthood as an option in your life? Let's take time. Let's respond to the Lord who is good. This message is in love. It should be received in love. And may God empower you to live in the Jesus way of servanthood.